brand is more important than it's ever been. Companies that grew up with passerby readers are dead. And if you don't have a consumer who's actively looking for your content, it is very difficult to build ancillary business models. If you look at what Snapchat's doing with advertising and storytelling, it's clear that digital can be more than the thing that we think it is. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy. I am joined today by Lydia Polgrain, who is the uh, editor-in-chief of HuffPost. Lydia, welcome. Hi, Brian. Great to be here. So we're going on about a year since you joined um, HuffPost, um, and then it was the Huffington Post. Uh, give me what uh, has surprised you. Um, what surprised me is just how much um, extraordinary opportunity there is in digital media right now to break through and do things that are really meaningful. Um, you know, I, I when I took this job, I, I wasn't really sure uh, what, um, you know, leaving behind the massive newsroom and resources of the New York Times would mean. Um, I'd, I'd really grown up there and was used to, um, you know, the... the it, sort of extraordinary wealth of, of reporting resources, of you know, um, uh, people to do beautiful graphics and things like that. And I think what's been really heartening is seeing how much a, you know, smaller but still pretty sizable team uh, that is scrappy and excited to do something really fundamentally different in media can, can get done. Um, we did a a nationwide bus tour, well, really kind of an inland United States bus tour this year. We visited 26 cities and ended up interviewing um, close to 2,000 people, um, what was on their minds and the things that they cared about. And to be able to pull something like that off uh, with uh, with such a great team has been incredibly exciting. So I, I feel like we've accomplished a lot in 2017, and we're really teeing up for a big year in 2018. Okay, it's also been a little bit of a weird year. Every year is weird. So weird. Um, so the number one weirdness, because uh, you talked about uh, the bus tour, has been the Trump effect. Yeah. Um, so how has that impacted how you're thinking about the direction that HuffPost goes? Well, I think one of the clear things that came out of the bus tour is that while Trump is topic A for cable news, for the big national media, it's actually not topic A for most Americans. Uh, one of the most striking findings of, of our interviews was that his, his name hardly ever came up. And we're talking about hundreds and hundreds, you know, thousands of interviews um, in, in, in many, many cities. And it, maybe there was a bit of a Voldemort effect, uh, you know, the name that, that, mm -hmm. that, that, not, that dare not be uttered. But I think our expectation going into it was that, oh, because we're HuffPost and because we tend to attract a progressive audience that we would hear, um, you know, kind of endless d diatribes about uh, how terrible Donald Trump is and how terrible the Republicans are uh, and concerns about the Russia investigation and uh, meddling in the election and all those kinds of things. And we just heard none of it. Uh, people are really, really focused on the problems that they're facing in their communities, whether it's uh, crime in the inner city in Birmingham or the debate about school vouchers in Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, you know, flood recovery in, in, in Houston. Um, there, I think there's just a tremendous thirst for high quality journalism about, mm -hmm. about the stories that are unfolding in people's communities. And, and you think the media hasn't done a good job. So you think that, you know, HuffPost can, can sort of fill that void? I mean, because it's always been thought of, you know, with Ariana and uh, liberal bent um, and not necessarily the sort of concerns of, of middle America. I don't know how to say it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that you know, look, HuffPost began life in response to the Drudge Report and in response to um, 
the re-election of George W. Bush, which at the time I think a lot of progressives thought was really the low water. Those were <laughs> those were really really innocent days. They were I was saying that last night when uh, Mitt Romney like came out, I was like, remember when this guy was too extreme because the binders full of women and the <laughs> dog on the roof? Well, I remember uh, just after the the 2004 election, I was getting ready to go abroad for the Times. I was a, a New York Times correspondent at the time. Um, I'd just been assigned to my dream job, which was the, the West Africa bureau chief. And I ran into one of my colleagues uh, at the Times in the uh, in the ladies' room, and she said to me, you know, you're so lucky you and half the Upper West Side want to pick up and move out of this country right now. Yeah. Um, and, and things looked really, really dark. And of course, four years later, Obama was elected and everything changed. But Coming back to HuffPost, um, you know, I think it's been through multiple iterations and and expressions of really the sort of marketing genius that is, uh, and, 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 and sort of content genius that is Ariana, and kind of ridden the waves of what her passions were at different times. Um, you know, at certain points that was really focused on progressive politics, on other times, um, you know, it was on kind of personal wellness and well-being, uh, the environment, things like that. And, you know, Ariana, I think, has a kind of Oprah-like quality in that she could bring people along with her her passions and enthusiasms at the time and i think that every news organization or really every found you know it's kind of founder oriented company mm -hmm. reaches a moment when the founder leaves the stage and you have to think about how do you preserve the dna of that thing and then kind of move into a a new identity that pays um homage to mm -hmm. the genius of the founder but also kind of moves into a new direction and I think I think by by choosing me to 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 be the editor in chief, it was clear that we were going to be going in a in a in a sort of broader journalistic direction of um, you know really strong fact based reporting, which which I think is something that that HuffPost had been doing for a long time. I mean, they won a, a Pulitzer Prize and uh, have, have done a lot of really great work. Um, but it was it was clear to me that the the big opportunity here was to uh, to be a voice for a a broad swath of the country that, um, and frankly, the world, that f was finding itself on the losing end of these big global trends, whether it's globalization or the incredibly rapid pace of technological change, uh, growing inequality. Um, some of these things, I think, had been in the DNA of HuffPost mm -hmm. all along. But, but there was a lot of things in that DNA. And yeah. that was the, that was the, that was the time. I mean, the, at the time, there was a lot of aggregation going on. There was a lot of doing everything because it was just getting big really quick. Yeah, and and I think that one of the most extraordinary things that 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 HuffPost, uh, that the Huffington Post accomplished in that time was um, building something that I think would be very difficult to do now, which is a huge brand awareness. Um, I, I just came back from India, and the awareness of HuffPost as a media brand. Um, um, you know, really kind of floored me. Coming from the New York Times, where I traveled all around the world and talked to people about media brands in my last job at the Times, which was really around global expansion, um, you know, people, of course, would talk about the Times as being a major global media player, uh, which is not surprising. It's been around for over 160 years. It, you know, is mentioned when you when you start at the New York Times, they show you this 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 kind of movie reel of different pop culture references to the New York Times. Oh, it's like kind of part of your 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 orientation indoctrination. and indoctrination. <laughs> um, but the fact that HuffPost, which has been around for 12 years, has is is just as close to the tip of the tongue as uh, the New York Times in uh, around the world. It really mm -hmm. is a remarkable thing, and it's a remarkable story in digital media. And you you 
I think that'd be very hard to accomplish yeah. today. And and I think that the strategy of really covering the the waterfront and being ubiquitous and, and surfing the waves of disruption, right? I mean, there was a a, a moment of, uh, there have been a few moments where it was almost like an arbitrage uh, 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 opportunity uh, sure. where the big players had not figured out SEO, the big players had not cracked the code on social. Um, and, you know, they, they, they've caught up now. And, you know, and the big players had high, high costs. I mean, you saw at the New York Times, you talked about all those resources and, the, you know, the Baghdad Bureau, everyone goes, you used to go to at the time, that places like the Huffington Post didn't have. Yeah, you know? and so no. that was the real arbitrage: is the the cost of creating content was so much lower, right? But also the revenue possibilities, um, you know, were were incredibly um, fruitful at that time. You know, we all mm-hmm. remember. Um, I mean, the sort of the most to me famous example of this is um, is the the sort of mommy blog phenomenon that there were people who were able to make significant amounts of money by um, you know racking up page views on a blog that you did from your living room yeah. and actually make a living at that pioneer and woman era pioneer woman era uh, uh, deuce <clears throat> I think was yeah. another one um, and that has all kind of gone out the window um, and or they made the leap to be Instagram influencers. Instagram influence. And, but all of that, I mean, these are all these like arbitrage moments. Yeah. You establish your brand and you, you know, you're able to kind of surf the waves. And for, for HuffPost, the, the great thing about our story has been that each time I think we've managed to get to the top of the heap. Um, you know, it, right now we're seeing, um, you know, search come back in a really big way. And that's something we're, we're masters of. But I think we're also seeing that people are... News consumption is moving away from apps and toward things that are baked right into your phone. Um, Apple News, for for many publishers, has come to be a source of uh, referrals that, that rivals Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. Partly that reflects the fact that Facebook yeah. seems to be wanting to get out of the news business, but I also think that it reflects the fact that as our as our relationships with our phones become more and more intimate, and the way in which we interact them become interact with them becomes more and more seamless particularly for things that are oriented towards utility and and news is definitely a utility. The thing that you just kind of swipe right and there it is, uh, is the place that's Mm going to win. Um, So uh, I feel bullish because we're part of a um, a really successful mobile phone company. And um, I think that's the direction that, that most media, digital media companies are are headed in, uh, you know, being acquired by uh, some kind of pipe owner. Um, We're we're already there. And, um, you know, we're working with a company that has really ambitious plans to merge content and distribution um, through mobile phones in a way that I think is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Just to get back to the brand for a second, do you feel limited at all coming after uh, the founder in how you can interpret the brand? Uh, I mean, you talked about sort of staying true to the DNA, but um, you know, ultimately, it's going to be your vision, right? Yeah, I think that I, I I really haven't felt any limitations. I think that Huff you can't get rid of the sleep pods. Uh, <laughs> it's not really up to me. They're they're sort of you know bought and paid for. They're there. Um, it's true. They're just you know, depreciating. They're they're just depreciating. So. <laughs> 
Um, you know, but 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 digital media is all about change and adaptation, and I think that you're seeing you're seeing that every everywhere from the Washington Post to the New York Times to CNN to um, you know the FT everywhere we're all trying to adapt to 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 a new identity and a new voice a new way of speaking to consumers um, and and there's I think nothing's especially different about uh, HuffPost journey to 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 finding that new mm. voice. So it's been a terrible year for digital media. Um, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. A lot of, a lot of uh, cutbacks. Um, you know, some flame outs. Um, now, obviously, Huffington Post is not uh, venture backed. It's been bought, exited a while ago. One of the initial exits. Um, so now part of um, of Verizon. But I don't know. When you look out there, why why are you optimistic about news as being a sustainable venture in digital media writ large, outside of being supported by billionaires? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think that all of us who really care about about democracy want to see sustainable models for journalism emerge, and it's clear that on the high end um, that a model is emerging that a handful of, of of publishers are I think really really executing at a very high level and it doesn't just depend on billionaires I mean you know the wait are you talking about subscriptions yes. or are you talking okay yeah so I'm talking about subscriptions I mean the New York Times obviously has been the most successful that's not a billionaire yeah. back company it's a publicly traded company um, with a you know unusual ownership structure and a family that stands behind it but you know I think they have executed at a, at a very high level on on a subscription and, and reader first strategy um, and that's a that's something to be optimistic about but they're not the only ones I mean, the recent news about the FT getting up to, I think, 900,000 digital subscribers. Yeah, like um, 700 or so, I think. Yeah, well, I, I think it was, was a little it more than that. Okay. Yeah, but I think I think that, I mean, and they obviously have been have been bought by Nikkei, which is a, yeah. a much bigger home. And, you know. But when, that is specialist content. A lot of that is other people's, absolutely. Other people's money. Absolutely. People are, people are very, it's like business class. No. Tickets. Exactly. And so you, <laughs> they're not as, they're not as price conscious. Yeah. Um, but you're also, um, you know, you're also. I, I also think that that uh, Jeff Bezos does not see um, the Washington Post as a charity case. I think he sees it as a business, and um, I uh, I don't think that I, I saw him speak at um, at a conference in Italy over the summer, and it's very clear that um, that he sees the the Washington Post as being on a great trajectory that is actually not even a trajectory that he said. I mean, mm -hmm. the editor in chief was there before he got there most of the product and all those kinds of people were there uh he's definitely made investments but he said it's a profitable company so so i think even the kind of billionaire benefactor piece of it is is, is not absolutely essential um now part of the reason that that i kind of made this huge leap to to leave the times where i was you know very happy and had was was having a great career to come to HuffPost was um a real desire to think about uh, free-to-consumer or um, largely free-to-consumer media, because I think that on the very high end, you're seeing a handful of companies that I think have models that are going to work and are going to survive. And they've always trickled down into the broader media ecosystem. The great thing about 
about aggregation. People talk about aggregation as if HuffPost invented it. I mean, the New York Times would send the front page stories that were the things that were going to be out on the front page out to the wires, and they would dictate what was going to be on the eleven o'clock news. Right. Um, and so, I think we forget that news organizations have been aggregating each other for a very long time, particularly across different types of media. Um, so, so I think you're going to continue to see that trickle down effect of that those media organizations doing lots of good work. But I think that you really do need uh, a handful of very low cost or free to consumer news organizations that see themselves as serving the mm-hmm. needs of people who aren't ever going to pay. But is that possible? I mean, I know you're not on the revenue side, but I mean, I think, <clears throat> I, I think it is possible. I think that to that, make it all to make it on advertising. I don't think that I don't think vicious news organization. I don't think you could sustain a. I mean, I think the New York Times newsroom is th- you know close to thirteen hundred people, or perhaps even a little bit more at this point. They have more uh, programmers on staff, uh, n- more journalist uh, developers on staff mm-hmm. than any other news organization. That is not a digital ad ad supported model. Um, but I do think that a a news organization that sees that that is able to pick its shots and have a really clear articulated strategy about what its audience is and how it wants to serve that audience actually can survive and can thrive in this environment but it requires uh, just as executing a a, a paywall uh, requires a laser focused approach uh, to both cost to um, mm-hmm. to audience to thinking about what are the shots where are the places that we're going to win and um does that, that mean letting some stuff go? I mean, completely. You know, so focus has become like, you know, a big word that a lot of people talk about. Um, yeah. But what does that mean for Huffington Post, which has always been extremely broad? It's been yeah. as broad as the internet. Yeah. And I think that, 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 you're seeing a significant narrowing of focus. Um, you know, like one example I'd give is that, you know, I've noticed that the Daily Beast is doing a really great job of covering the Russia investigation, um, and they've got a bunch of reporters who are super focused on that. And I think for the for that um, you know news organization, and Noah Shackman, he's a great editor. John Avalon, mm-hmm. they're terrific people. They've got a great staff. That is a, a signature story that they really want to own and and run with. And um, and for us, I think pr- looking at our audience and looking at who we're trying to reach, that's that's actually not a, a a really strong focus area for us. We keep up on the news and we keep our audience informed about it, but we're not necessarily putting the kind of investigative muscle behind the the Russia story. On the other hand, but we, wait, why not? Isn't that the story of our time? Well, it is the story of our time, but there are so many people covering it. You know, the New York Times has, um, right. you know, a brace of of terrific investigative reporters who are working twenty four seven on that story. Um, and so we are focused on the stories that we believe actually really matter to our audience. And so, for example, you know, if you look at the sexual harassment uh, mm-hmm. um, scandal. Um, which a, one? Catastrophe. The, I mean, it's not a catastrophe. It's a catastrophe for the, for the, for the people who've been accused. But I think it's a revolution for for um, for society. You know, I said to my reporters, I really want to focus on the uh, impact of sexual harassment on on workers in industries that aren't glamorous that don't involve multi-million dollar contracts and so we focused on hotel workers we had a really devastating story about the 
everyday harassment that hotel workers face. And that, that did really, really well with our audience. And then we had another one about, about flight attendants. Um, and again, this is a place where, where it's, it's not necessarily, I mean, being a flight attendant, I think used to be a glamorous job, but it's not anymore. Yeah, A lot of people get bamboozled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think that, that for us, those are the trade-offs and the choices that we made. And we've done, you know, we've done our share of, of reporting on the big celebrity, um, cases. You know, we, we, we've been very aggressive, for example, on covering the the rape accusations against Danny Masterson, who just this morning was mm-hmm. was fired by Netflix, um, in in part as a result of our reporting. But I so th- you have to pick your spots. You, you but ab- they have to add up to something as like a point of view. Yeah, and I think that that for us it's really a question about who who's the audience that we're trying to ally ourselves with. And I mean I've said this before and, and perhaps you've heard, heard me say it. So so forgive me if I sound like a broken record, but one of my big um, sources of inspiration are there really two. One is um, the big city tabloids, uh, particularly in their heyday in the 1970s when, you know, they reached 2 yeah. million people and they really saw themselves as serving the needs of working people and um, you'd buy it for nickel before you got on the subway and there would be uh, you know, the, the journalism would be driven by a, a real sense of righteous indignation. Um, these are the um, fat cats who are screwing you, um, and we represent you, the working person, in that in that struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other the other source of inspiration for me is um, is local TV news, which I think surprises some people. But local TV news fundamentally is about water skiing squirrel. Well, yes, there's a lot of fun <laughs> in it, right? Which I think is important, and that I think is also an element of. Talent. Tablets, yeah. right? Uh, you know, a sense of of the the water cooler story. Yeah. You got to keep you got to keep you got to keep coming back after every commercial break for that squirrel. Absolutely, but I think that local TV news is driven by a sense of service to communities. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think of the the taglines of local TV news like five on your side." Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's what I was just and um, and that sense of, of 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 holding local institutions to account of you know really being on the side of the viewer and and trying to help them live better lives. And I've spent because of this bus tour that we did, I've actually spent a lot of time um, t- being interviewed by local TV news because every little place that we'd go to, um, I mean, these places weren't that little, they're, they're regional cities. Uh, you know, we do these TV hits and, um, you know, the passion that these journalists bring to serving their communities is really inspiring. So, um, mm-hmm. so I think that that our focus is really on serving the audience that 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 we see out there that's that's right mm-hmm. now really underserved. So how do you do that from New York and these big cities? Like, are you going to disperse, move people into? Yeah, I mean, we don't really. I mean, I think that you know one thing that we did with with the bus tour, and you know, people are like, well, isn't this just another form of parachuting in? And it really wasn't because each stop along the way, we worked very closely with, and we partnered with a news organization, a mm-hmm. local news organization, and did a piece of journalism together and had an event together where we talked about an issue that was really important to the community. And my hope is that, and those partnerships, by the way, uh, did, weren't just, you know, give us one of your reporters for, for a couple of weeks um, and you get nothing else out of it. We, you know, provided financial support. We provided video, you know, whatever kind of, of, of assistance that, that they felt they needed or things that we could make up that they didn't have. Uh, for example, in 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 um, New Orleans, we did a story with an organization called The Lens, and um, they had no video capability. 
capability and they didn't really have a lot of data reporting capability. We did a big piece about Airbnb and how Airbnb was changing neighborhoods in New Orleans. And we're able to do a kind of block by block analysis of Mm -hmm. how many, in some some blocks, you'd have a a block of 25 houses and 16 of them were full-time Airbnb houses. And what that does to the community. buildings that are Airbnb. It's called a hotel, people. (laughs) In Nashville, I stayed in an apartment building and in an Airbnb that it was just Airbnbs. Yeah, and and that has really <clears throat> profound impact because if if these houses are being turned into Airbnbs, who's going to the local schools? Like who's on the school board? Who's voting? Um, and it you know thinking about the right. local impact of the so we'd like to keep those partnerships going, uh, but I think we also are using the 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 insights that we got from this bus tour to think about how to deploy our resources in the future and where places where we should be putting staff and and hopefully hiring locally right i mean hiring people who are really from those places that represent you know big national issues that, that a lot of people care about um but find particular expression um in in, in one place where does video fit into all of this everyone is is talking about moving towards video i'm not going to use the p word but um <laughs> moving aggressively towards video well you guys had a great story today about uh about the digital video bubble uh yeah. the short form video yes. bubble and i couldn't um, resist putting pivot to nowhere yeah that. pivot pivot to nowhere exactly <laughs> video has always been a really big part of um well not always but for the past you know five years or so has been a big part of uh HuffPost's identity and i think everyone recognizes that there's going to be considerable demand for video particularly video on mobile in the news space there are just certain stories that are told best through video um the reality is that a lot of the demand has been driven by revenue concerns rather than actual user need or user demand um and so we've t- we've taken an approach of really trying to think about how can we best serve the user with video that is really compelling for them. And uh, we brought in a new head of video a few months ago, Shelly Venus, who who ran video at Mike, and she um, has really done a tremendous job at increasing uh, both the volume and, and, and more importantly, the engagement and viewership of the types of videos that we're doing. We're doing a lot of distribution on social. We're doing a distribution on on our platforms as well, but I don't think we see it as a as a panacea. Um, mm-hmm. To me, video is a format, and I think the best and most innovative players in the video space are using a strong newsroom that's doing distinctive storytelling as a a springboard to doing content in multiple platforms. Um, And one example that I would take, which is actually not in video at all, but but I think um, exemplary of an approach that works is uh, the daily podcast at the New York Times. The New York Times is sunk endless blood and treasure into trying to figure out a video strategy, but they had a huge hit in audio right out the gate. And I think that it's not, you know, it's partly because it was an audio moment and it was clear that there was an opportunity there. But I think, I think what really was, was, was a winner about that strategy was that it leaned very hard into what the New York Times is, which right. is, you know, the, the world's greatest collection of, um, of of journalists who have in-depth knowledge about the subject areas that they cover. And, I think that has, has has proved to be a formula for huge success for them. And so when I think about what video looks like for us, it's 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 in that same vein as thinking about what's something that really leans into who we are and mm-hmm. what we are and the audience that we're trying to serve. So one of the things that's very in uh, HuffPost DNA is 
riding the the wave of platforms because it mastered search very early on before a lot of news organizations. So it was used to sort of dealing with the whims of platforms and using them to its advantage. Then Facebook, uh, HuffPost made a good leap into the social distribution. Number one publisher on Facebook. Um, We're in this sort of trough of disappointment when it comes to the effects that algorithms are having on the news business in particular. Um, How does that impact how you think about charting um, HuffPost's future? Well, I think that we we've basically seen um, you know this kind of these these waves, right? I mean, there was the SEO wave, there was the social wave. Right now, I think we're in the middle of of a mobile wave, I guess I would call it, um, that is that is actually cresting and going into um, what I think will be the next big thing, which is. You could call it Internet of Things. You could call it, um, you could call it, you know, sort of the device-based world. But um, our track record of being able to win on whatever platform people want to consume news, I think, positions us really, really well for whatever the next world is. And whatever the next world is is going to revolve around your mobile phone. It's going to revolve around services that are part of the OS or perhaps even built directly into the um, equipment itself in a hardware sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be talking to your phone and calling up information that way. Um, and And I think that we're extremely well positioned given this history of being able to ride these waves and to get to to be the the number one player on on these different platforms to um, to own that space and 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 the great thing is that we're coming to that moment extremely well positioned having sort of been through the paces of riding those waves and also being owned by uh, one of the biggest and best telcos in the world. Right. So I see a really happy convergence there. And there's a lot of really innovative thinking going on both at the Oath level, uh, which is a company that the, the subsidiary that owns HuffPost, but also at the Verizon level about how to bake in um, really great features into the device itself, into the OS itself, um, that that help people discover and enjoy the content that they want to. Okay. So like a HuffPost button on your Verizon phone. Yeah. But also on your, you know, on your Reliance Geo phone in India yeah. and your, you know, Vodafone in the UK. So two final questions, um, and this sort of related. Um, I mean, as a journalist, do you think Facebook has been good for making people more informed? It's such a hard question to answer. I mean, I, you know, it's it's amazing. Like, has it been a force for good or bad? And I think a lot of people are wondering that now. So, because I mean, Silicon Valley got a pass for many, many years as as this engine of innovation, and they could do no wrong. And there were um, they were leading to the Arab Spring and all sorts of different things. And now we're hearing the uh, these are tools that can be used in any number of ways. I mean, you know, think about the Rwandan genocide. I mean, would anyone say that the, the radio's fault that the radio yeah. was to blame? Um, it, it, it was the means and, you know, it's hard to imagine that the Rwanda genocide could be any worse than it was. But if instead of, uh, Radio Milkolin, you had, uh, you yeah. had Facebook, who, who knows what it might've looked like. Um, you know, I think that, as I said, I just came back from India, and I think that there was a tre- tremendous sense there that the the 
the opposition to the free basics uh, program where they wanted to basically mm -hmm. give away free internet that was in this kind of Facebook walled garden in developing countries. I think that there was a, a firm sense that, the, that saying no to that was the right choice and that you don't want to kind of limit your, your internet world to, to, to just what Facebook has to offer. I think it's a really good thing that we're having this debate right now about big technological monopolies and the role that they play in our, um, in our life and, and in our societies and in our democracies. You know, I've, I grew up in a information starved environment. You know, I was a grade school student in Kenya um, and we, and then a high school student in Ghana. We didn't have a, a home phone even, you know, you mm -hmm. made plans with your friends and you just had to be there. There were huge events that were unfolding all around me um, that I couldn't read a New York Times story about or a BBC story about. Uh, there was just a very, so, so I've always been kind of bullish about the, um, the ability of people to connect across long distance, digi long distances digitally, and to find one another. Um, there are absolutely huge drawbacks to the way that this is this has evolved in our society. But on balance, I find it hard to be um, to be to to be a hundred percent negative right. about the role that social media has played. So the final thing is, uh, give me the case for uh, someone starting out. Why is this? Uh, why why is journalism a good profession? <laughs> you know, it's up and down every day. I remember during the 2016 election cycle, um, I thought, you know what? I'm not even sure the journalists make journalism makes any difference at all. I remember reading David Farenthold's stories and reading the New York Times Times pieces about um, women who'd been, you know, sexually harassed or even assaulted by by Donald Trump, and it just having no impact mm -hmm. at all. And I feel like we've seen a real um, a real uh, resurgence in 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 this year uh you know the we were all i think really inspired by the work that politico did that exposing those 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 charter flights that um that that uh that the abuse of uh, private aircraft that that to me was really inspiring and seeing that get results um you know you're seeing uh you know tremendous reporter on reporting on the Mueller investigation and uh in russia so I think journalism can still make a tremendous difference in the world and can 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 change the course of events. And I think that remains the 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 most powerful motivation for for getting into it. Um, at the same time, I think a lot of us are wondering uh, how to get people outside of their their. You know, I hate to use the word bubbles because it's such a cliche, but how to get mm -hmm. people outside of the the these walled gardens of information that they're that they're seeing. And and I think that. For us, yeah, uh, the bus that was the point I was getting at. It, like, I wonder whether social media, in particular Facebook, has made people more informed, or whether it's allowed them to to craft these walled gardens that that make them, you know, not actually see anything outside of of what they really. I, I also think that we tend see. we tend to underestimate how rich people's lives are beyond the um, beyond beyond what they see on facebook or what they I we don't so. we don't live in digital worlds and this is one of the things that came out of the bus tour too is yeah. that you know you might have a very conservative family and social group that you talk to on facebook but you go to your you go to work and you know maybe everybody you work with is 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 anti-abortion for example but you know they may have diverse views on on um health care on um on on race on on a number of other issues lgbt issues and and you know you may watch a lot of Fox News, but you also probably watch your local TV news. And there are things that that, that float into your world and points of view that float into your world. So I, this this 
this cartoonish view that we're all sitting there like um, Alex in a clockwork orange glued to um, Mm -hmm. our Facebook timelines with our eyeballs, you know, with our eyelids propped open, uh, just watching this parade of of bubbleified information, I think is actually kind of false. It's not really how people live their information lives. So I'm I'm a little bit more optimistic that we can Mm -hmm. kind of pump more diversity into people's views. Okay. Lydia, thanks so much. Such a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. 